Yeah, so right. Bash at the Beach 1996 <laughs> took place two weeks after King of the Ring, July 7th, 1996, from the, from the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida, with an attendance, an announced attendance of 8,300, which, again, with WCW at any era, it was always a question of I mean, how, many look, people, it, how many of those it, people paid. It did, yeah, it didn't look. Yeah, it didn't look like the place was empty at all. So, um, now one thing I want to say right off the bat, they have this brief little opening showing the Outsiders invasion. You know, from like the moment Scott Hall walked out on Nitro back in May of that year, leading to up to all the events up to including the pay per view. Like you know, his first confrontation with Sting, then Nash showing up, then then power bombing Bischoff through the Great American Bash set. Uh, you know, all the confrontations and everything. But one thing you really get the idea of is that WCW's production sucked in comparison to WWE. Yeah, think? <laughs> and the bad, part of, the bad part about that was that who owned WCW? <laughs> Turner Broadcasting, a fucking television slash sports conglomerate. <laughs> And they couldn't ever get people who could figure out how to put together decent video packages and sh- stuff like that. So it's bad. like, dude, just fucking copy WWF for Christ. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it just comes off as looking so amateurish. And this it is does. Like, you know, and this is the thing that they're leading up to is saying, like, yeah, this is the biggest event in company history. And, you know, they have the hostile takeover. You know. uh, the production of that. Yeah, WCW, and that's something that, in a lot of ways, they never really improved on, even when they started riding high. So, all right, so they replay, you know, the Bischoff bump, and then there's all this stuff about where is Eric Bischoff, which I'm gonna just say because this became like a recurring theme throughout the night because everything revolved around the main event match. So much, so too and much. And the comment, the commentary team was Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes, but they just keep talking about where's Bischoff, where's Bischoff now. I went back and I played parts of the Nitro the week prior to the event and the Nitro the night after. Bischoff was there for both of those. So it wasn't like he was MIA since he'd gotten powerbombed by Nash. Um, and like the, the, the night after this one was the first uh, Nitro, I think the first Nitro that they did from Disney MGM Studios, which was always kind of cool to see, uh, especially if you're a Disney fanatic like me. But um but again, it was just weird because it was. we know Bischoff eventually turned and joined the NWO. But that didn't happen until November. That was four months later. And that was after like the whole build with Roddy Piper when he came in. So why they were making such a big deal out of this during this pay-per-view, especially when I think when Heenan asks Bischoff the next night, Bischoff just like brushes him off. And then it's never really like mentioned again until <laughs> we get to that point where Bischoff is revealed to be behind the NWO and everything. So it was very odd, and it just didn't it, it didn't age well, knowing how much longer it took to get to that point. It's like if Bischoff had been revealed to be behind the NWO two weeks later, then it would have been fine. But yeah. Otherwise, it just came off it, as being very very odd. It made me think like the whole night like is Bischoff gonna like come down to the ring? And then, like, wave some guy down and, and be, the, it's the, like, to be the third person. They, they made you fake, and then, like, at the end, it's like nothing. It's like, uh. Yeah, it's like, did they, did they, were they trying to make you think that Bischoff was the third guy? <laughs> In some capacity, know. you know, it's, it, was, it, it was just played very oddly. Yeah, it was. 
All right. So the event begins with a what more or less became a WCW staple, whether it was an episode of Nitro or a pay-per-view. They'd hit you off right away with some awesome cruiserweight action. And we've got two of the all-time best here. We got Rey Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis. Mike Tenay joins on commentary as he typically did for the uh, for the cruiserweight and especially the luchador matches. He always added his two cents, which always made it sound a little bit more legitimate. I was like, Mike Tenay is a color guy. Yeah. Uh, Ray was only 21 years old at the time, and he was so small that he makes psychosis look like a fucking giant. Yes, <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> it, 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 it was it was so like i'm like wow psychosis looks effing huge and psychosis is tiny probably compared to me because i'm six four and very overweight so uh <laughs> anyway so some notes i got from this there was a really sick looking suicide dive from psychosis uh uh to head. ray to the railing where yeah i think he hit part of his head yep. ray would later hit like his feet when he did yes. like, the dive to the outside so he did like a plancha or whatever and hit his yeah. hit his leg on the guardrail I'm not sure if they had a good idea of how much space there was between the ring and the railing. Uh, psychosis dominated early. Ray would counter. He hit like his her and Conrad a few times. He hit the, what we now know as the West coast pop at one point, but couldn't get the pin. Um, later on psychosis hit what looked like a leg drop to the outside that Tanae called a senton, which, I mean, it looked more like a leg drop than a yes, senton. It me. definitely looked more like a leg drop. Uh, yeah. There was a really great power bomb counter spot by Psychosis where I think Ray was going for I think maybe a flip and Psychosis powered him up and hit him with the power bomb. Uh, the ending occurred though when Psychosis was going for I, I know they gave it a name but uh, I'll just call it a top rope Razor's Edge, you know. Uh, but Ray was able to counter into another Hurricane Rana and got the pin. Uh, it was a terrific match terrific uh, match it was really yep. edgy your seat great back and forth great showcase of skills without them really like overkilling like any moves without them repeating moves really i mean ray did the hurricane run a couple times and there wasn't really a lot of ridiculousness <laughs> to it either so he did he did the yeah. hurricane run out too many times in my opinion but that's just me and they kept like i know at that time nobody had really seen anybody do it other than like we saw scott steiner do it but they were like, it was like they were force feeding it. I'm like, okay, I know he can do a hurricane run. I've seen it twice. And then we do it a third time. And then we do it off the top rope. Like he did it on the apron. Then he did it on the top rope. And I'm like, okay, this is a really cool move, but you don't have to do it four times in this match. Yeah. 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 It's kind of um, an then as well. Yeah. So the, the match went 15 minutes, 18 seconds. Meltzer gave it four and three quarter stars. It's really good. It's a really yeah. good match. No, uh, I'll just give I'll just give you the spoiler right now. That's the best match rating he gave to any match on either of these two cards. Uh, <laughs> not surprised. Yeah. I mean, it was so, it was it was it might have been the best match on either. I mean, there's only one match on the other card that I thought was four stars anyway. So yeah. yeah. And now one thing, thing I want to one one quick thing I want to say before so I'm sorry, Jeremy. This I noticed right away, and this is something that would come back to bite WCW when they ran what was literally their biggest match ever, which was the Hogan-Sting title match at Starcade 97. Every WCW referee has a slow count. Mm -hmm. WWF, the counts basically... WCW, if you ever notice, all of their referees kind of cock their wrist. Yes. So it In between. Like, <laughs> They had this weird motion with when they're counting. Nick Patrick yeah. was the chief 
villain, if you will, of that. But the guy who ref- and I, I'm sorry, I didn't bother to see who refed this match. It wasn't Randy Anderson. I know that. Um, but they all did that. And that was the thing, too, because they did like the, the fast count spot in the Hogan Sting match at Starcade, which backfired because everybody was like, that wasn't a fast count. But as Kevin Nash has said, well, for Nick Patrick, it was because he said, <laughs> it said about how every WCW referee counted slow. And it's it was to me, it was like obvious right from the beginning of watching this match. And it is something that permeates throughout WCW. It doesn't matter what show you're watching, who the wrestlers are, who the referee is. Yeah. WCW just counted slow. And so. I never liked their I never liked their referee getups. The la, the the one mad the very last match I thought the guy was wearing sweatpants. Well, <laughs> like, they cause... they were still wearing like the old like '80s WWF like you know shirt and bow tie outfits. I mean, by now WWF had switched to you know like the striped shirt and everything, yeah. which made a lot more sense. But WCW was still running like the old style. Yeah, they probably yeah. bought them off of WWF. <laughs> <laughs> you never you, know, you never know it's always a possibility they so. found him in the trash bin behind the arena <laughs> at the goodwill so, store um all right this, so uh any other thoughts on this match yeah th- this is like a match that it's a, a spectacular match it's a fabulous match and this this is besides some of the other wrestlers in wcw this is another reason why i watch wcw the smaller guys i was always big fan of the lucha style the fast pace and the cruiserweights in WCW is something I think they kind of they had a lot of and they could have done more with. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, when they started bringing in all the old or the ex-WWE guys, they kind of went away from that and didn't do it as much because that was definitely something the crowd was really was really into in that whole style as well. They just yeah. they, they had a lot of their events where it's not always good for the best match of the night to be the first match. And that happened in WCW often. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if you go back and you watch, I'm not going to say this, um, this happened all the time, but a lot of nitros and a lot of pay-per-views began with cruiserweight matches. So, but the problem was, was that they ended up basically pigeonholing themselves and that they're like, Oh, the cruiserweight matches, they're just the curtain jerkers. You know, they're they're just the matches to get the guys to get the crowd on their feet and get the crowd amped at the beginning, because this crowd, I'm going to tell you, for the most part, was a pretty dead crowd for most of the night. They Um, were. They were. They were. And since I like I've been doing a lot of WCW rewatching, like I'm into 1997. I mean, WCW crowds got hot. So it wasn't like this, like they couldn't have been hot. This crowd wasn't hot until, you know, a certain moment. So, um so, wow. so, so that, re- that really kind of t- took away in a lot of ways. But, yeah, again, WCW just pitched and hold themselves. They could have let the Cruiserweight guys be so much more. But they said, no, you're just the opening match, guys. I, so, I think with this pay-per-view, too, like if you just run – if you run down the matches, like the main event for the main pay-per-view, like the matches they have, the three gimmick matches, and just the matches between the people they have, just I would, I would be bored out of my mind. Yes. Like – like, why don't you have, listen, uh, I'm not saying, you know, Steven Regal could work, but I would rather see Eddie Guerrero against Steven Regal on the main card of the match. And especially the Steiners against Harlem Heat for the tag belts, you know, on the main event. Wouldn't it just, instead, of, instead of like on the main event show, and that's one thing yeah. I've always hated. Every, every company does this. I hate, despise so. and hate when they don't put a, a title match 
on the main car and he put it like on a pre-show or some bullshit. I think it just yeah. I'll 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 run through that in a second, but I know I that Jeremy that. wanted to say something. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> but I wanted you guys to get your stuff in too. So, um, so when I thought, and you guys just mentioned the crowd, the crowd was kind of dead in the beginning of this match, but got more into it the longer the match went. So I'm glad the match went yeah. as long as it did, because if not, if they would have shortened yeah. that match, there would have been barely any crowd interaction. They would have, because they started to get hot when they started to see guy them do the stuff outside the ring, like off the apron and, and some of that stuff. But the other thing, and I told you guys about this the other night, I had something written down in what Bobby Heenan said that I thought was really, really funny. He calls Rey Mysterio at some point in time. He goes, I think Rey Mysterio was the original San Diego chicken. Yeah, <laughs> he does say that. I remember that. I was uh, dying. I was like, that is so <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Heenan on commentary again. <laughs> you can't you, the stuff he said you can't get away with today so bobby oh. heenan you know is, is def, definitely very much of his time uh and, and place and everything but yeah i mean yeah, i know was was a, i know that i know that half the stuff he says is so inappropriate but i still can't help but laugh at it so yeah um but yeah real quick before we get to the rest of the card i mean joe mentioned this there were five matches that aired before ray and psychosis did five yes there yeah. was a dark there was a dark match. I'm going to give you the results and the, the times to kind of also give you an idea. There was a dark match, which wasn't even on the main event show, but a dark match where Jim Powers beat Hugh Morris, 4 minutes, 23 seconds. The Steiner brothers beat Harlem Heat in a match for the tag team titles by DQ, 5 minutes and 1 second. Horrible. 5 minutes and 1 second for the Steiners and Harlem Heat. That's terrible. Hard work Bobby Walker, who would best be known for suing WCW for racial discrimination, <laughs> beat Billy Kidman, yes, Billy Kidman, in two minutes. <laughs> Squash. The Rock and Roll Express, oh, yes, they were still banging around, beat Fire and Ice, Scott Norton and Ice Train, in yep. two minutes. And eight I remember seconds. them. And how does that happen? I'm sorry. Like, and, and, how do and, they and, beat Fire and Ice? Like, right. That just doesn't make sense to me. And Eddie Guerrero beat Lord Steven Regal in three minutes and 38 seconds. And Joe just mentioned this. You got Eddie Guerrero and Steven Regal and you don't put them on the main card. I mean, I know there was no story behind their match, but there was no story behind a few of the matches on this card. So I can't uh, wait to get to yes. some of these matches. Yes. Let's get to <laughs> so, the, the so let's I mean, get to this train wreck. Cause it's starting. So, yeah. So, so that's just pretty terrible. It just kind of shows how WCW still didn't really know what they were doing. Nope. And even when they were on top, if you watch like a lot of their pay-per-views, a lot of the pay-per-views are just kind of weird with the way they flow. So, but yes, moving on our next match. <laughs> okay. Real quick. First mean Gene, who again, would seem to be the only guy doing interviews on WCW this night. Interviews Conan. He actually asked Conan to explain the moves that were used yes. at the end of the That was funny. That like, was Conan, funny. Conan's got this look on his face like, well, you want me to hold the microphone for you too? <laughs> so, uh, but Conan warns Flair and his entourage that he's ready for them and he'll keep the United States title. Hint. He won't. <laughs> I don't know what the hell Conan was wearing, but oh yeah, he awesome. was wearing a very. He was wearing yeah, he wore this really weird outfit with like the frills on it. We'll get to that during his match, but I just. <laughs> but match two, big. The wheels Bob... are starting to come off at, at match two. Big oh, Bubba with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenta 
the former earthquake, the former avalanche, the former shark, and a Carson City silver dollar match. Now, what, what, what are we doing with fat guys trying to climb a pole? Can you please no, tell it, me? It, it, it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that. The pole is fucking 15 feet up <laughs> the turnbuckle. What are we doing? In the goddamn air. This is fucking awesome. I'm back and go get that shit for me, please. I'm like, none of us would be able to climb up that damn thing and get that fucking roll of silver dollars. And the announcers kept talking about how, well, these guys aren't going to be able to climb the pole. So even the announcers are making fun of this match, essentially. Yeah, I mean, like at one point, like they they're, they're both trying to like shake it to get the thing to knock down. Tenta, you know, tries to, like, cut it down with, like, the scissors because Bubba tries to tape him to the ropes. Tenta uh, looked like a complete idiot in this match, too, and, and, with and, his and, half hair. That was awful. And, what the and, fuck? And, and, yeah, well, see, I, I say that was good de- dedication because he was selling the fact that that's what they had done to him. And he was, like, willing to say, yeah, I'll go out in public looking like this for a couple of weeks or whatever. It's like... I have a soft spot in my heart for John Tenta because, you know, he passed away at a very young age due to a, an actual illness rather than yes. being like, you know, a wrestler right. who died of like, a, you know, like a drug problem, yeah. or something yes. like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I always th- I always felt he was a little underrated. But, yeah, he looks ridiculous wearing full pants, you know, like he should have just gone back to just wearing the singlet, really. Um, but, yeah, so he looks ridiculous. Uh, there was no heat for this match. Uh, at one point, I, one of the commentators, I don't remember which one, said he's not a fish, and then Shivani t- chimed in with, and he's not an avalanche. I'm yes. like, fun way of making reference to the fact that you got sued over calling him avalanche. Right? <laughs> uh, so just just there's, a, there's something you said that I want to put on the back burner. You said something about Bubba taping him to the ring ropes. That's going to come up in the next match too. Yes. So we, we had, why, why we're using tape in this match when the next match is a taped fist match. I didn't understand that either. No, yeah, very much so. <laughs> uh, so the match finally got a little bit heat when Jimmy Hart literally shimmies up the pole to get the damn silver dollars and yeah. kudos to him for being able to do it. Yes. Uh, but when he comes back down, tent is taking the advantage and he's waiting. So he grabs the silver dollars nails Bubba with it and he doesn't even like hit him with it like with a punch he like literally because it's in like a sock he just takes the sock and like whack you know like right in the face. Yeah, he uses it like a slapjack yeah, yeah. Knocks the fuck he, out. he gets, he gets uh. the pin and then he takes the dollars out and, and I, what I thought was a nice touch because I'm like into the old west and stuff he takes two of the coins and puts them on Bubba's eyes yes. yeah. uh, that kind of signified I think that this was the end of this feud which had to come to an end it was nice that they gave it a pay-per-view match, but it was uh, this was this was <laughs> this, bad. I mean, this, again, <laughs> it, it made it made sense considering what they had done on TV with when from when the moment they had kicked Shark out of the Dungeon of Doom and everything like that, and it was good that Tenta got over because he had been humiliated and everything. But it's like six years prior to this, these guys were heavily involved in one of the main events of SummerSlam '90 when it was Hogan yes. against Earthquake, yes. and Bossman and was Bossman was in. Uh, Hogan's corner. 
I don't know if Bossman and Earthquake in 1990 could have put on a really good match. <laughs> so they no. definitely weren't going to in 1996. Especially and, when you put them in a match with a 15-foot pole above the ring that yeah. they have to climb. But, I mean, Tenta was, past his, Tenta was past his prime, and Bubba was overweight here. You could tell oh he was not. God, a, yes. a uh, the match ends up going nine minutes even. Meltzer said a star oh. and a quarter. Wow, he didn't call it a dud. I would have called that match a dud. Wow. Um, again, because it made sense storyline wise, and because the, for, for my money, just the ridiculousness of the, the announcers having to point out the poll and everything, I, I'd probably say somewhere between a half and one star. Yeah. So this match reminded me of a 1980s WWF big man match where all they did was throw punches and whip each other into the fucking ropes. Yep. Like and that's. Terrible. A lot of the WCW undercard was still like that because they were using so many ex-WWF guys. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> that so, match was terrible. Let's move on. They cut back to the announcers. Oh. They're talking again about Bischoff being MIA. For some reason, Shivani is now wearing a lay. It's like they're in Florida, not Hawaii. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's even like pointing real, it out to Heenan. Heenan starts talking. I'm like, what the fuck so, are you doing, Tony? So real quick though, another thing that I noticed, and you guys all probably agree with this as we go through the matches, there was like almost no selling in that too. Like nobody <laughs> pretended that they got hurt. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, you hit me. Okay. Oh, you hit me. Uh, okay. <laughs> Very little. Mean Gene with another interview. He's interviewing our intrepid WCW heroes, Sting, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Lex Luger. Savage says he doesn't care who the third man is. <laughs> Luger's typical Luger being all big, strong, and doing his patent. And terrible. Doing his patented pointing with his thumb and forefinger motion. Sting <laughs> gets kind of creepy and is talking about goosebumps, and they're all getting goosebumps, and how those goosebumps are going to propel them, and it's like, Okay. He was Chana in his inner warrior. Yes. Yeah, he really was. It Savage was, and Savage and Sting were fine in that promo. Luger is just more advertisement that he's terrible on the mic. <laughs> yeah, Luger Luger's whole promo was was always just basically I'm big, I'm strong, prepare to get pounded to the mat, you know, so on the total package. <laughs> All right, so the next match, Hacksaw Jim Duggan against <laughs> one guy who is many years past his prime and one guy who hasn't yet hit it, even though he's older. This is a taped oh, fist match for DDP's Lord of the Ring ring, which he had won back at the preceding year's Battle Bowl pay-per-view, <laughs> which for some reason they made it into a thing where Paige had lost it to somebody previously. I can't even remember if it was Johnny B. Bad or if it was the Booty Man, but it doesn't matter. Anyway. <laughs> Page is still doing his white trash character where he smokes <laughs> cigars as he comes out. I loved it. I love yeah. that shit. I mean, I, I, Joe, I got to admit, a, a lot of times when I see this kind of era of Page where he comes out with the sunglasses and cigar smoking, I can totally picture you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that he's too white trash. It's just that I can totally see you walking that way, striking that pose, making those facial expressions. I the only to put a cigar and sunglasses on him. The only... Thing, I'll, it, I'll do it. The only thing about this match that was good was that DDP was in it. Everything else about this match was bad, in my opinion, too. So yeah, uh, the the couple of notes that I did not make many for this match. The USA chant always seems to work for some reason. 
It's like, I know that was practically Duggan's entire gimmick from like the moment he hit. He's WWE fighting US. another guy from the United States though. So, right. right. <laughs> and so it's like, why are you people chaining the USA? This match was completely boring. The tape fist part of it really never came into play. Page nope. finally, you know, gets the diamond cutter and it wasn't even really like the diamond cutter out of nowhere. They weren't quite doing that yet because he hadn't, you know, turned face yet. Um, but then after the match, Duggan takes out his, because at this era, every Duggan match, he would take out the roll of tape and so ridiculously wind it up to like 10 feet long and then you just wrap it around real quick and then just nail the guy. So he does that at the end of this match, which mercifully only lasted five minutes and 39 seconds. Felter actually gave this a star in three quarters. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, this was. So this, this is where I'm saying. So the match before this, you had one guy taping the guy to the ring. And now in this match, you also had somebody trying to, he, he taped his legs together like Duggan's legs and he was he taped his legs together right outside the ring or whatever, or wrapped around the ring post. Yeah. Yes. It was. So it's like, why, what are you doing when, when you had a, why would they do the tape in the match before this, when they were doing that in this match, that made no sense at all to me. No. Right. As, as the King of wrestling podcast, Conrad Thompson would say, who booked this shit? I mean, do, literally you have a taped fist match and you let people use athletic tape in a in a significant way in the prior match it's like do you not have the agents talking to each other it's seriously who the fuck booked this ddp did sell and make hacksaw look good and that that's the one thing about ddp in this match is that's why i'm saying ddp was the only part of this match i cared about because he did over like sal and make hacksaw look good so kudos See, that, to ddp that's, that's what i always hated about like mark madden always had a hard on for ddp like when he used to write a column for one of the wrestling sites i used to check out he always referred to page as dd me and it's like okay did page maybe like you know push himself and put himself over yeah every top guy should do that but i can't ever recall seeing a match where page didn't sell for the other guy even if the other guy he was wrestling was a piece of shit like he sold for the renegade yeah, yeah. Uh, come on. So yeah, you yeah, had yeah. we started off with with a with a great match, and we've had two shit shows after that. Yes. Uh, and there was and another yeah. match. Doug and then there, we've got another cells. shit show coming, but we well, we yeah. have some more shit shows coming too. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So after the match is over, Mean Jeans in the back interviewing the Giant, the Taskmaster, and Jimmy Hart. Oh my lord! Taskmaster denies being the weak link of the dungeon because uh, I guess they he's been getting picked on like that lately. The Giant warns the Horseman it's not wise to come after the Dungeon of Doom, and for once he actually sounds fully understandable he wasn't quite in that because big show's voice uh, he's the giant but you know it was the big show i he's still think he sounded like an idiot where, but well a lot of times though he gets a little too worked up too easily and so like you know he's like his cheeks kind of get kind of jowled and like you can tell the saliva is building up in it and so like it makes his words sound a little Marr, weird. just growl yeah. he, 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 he sounded he sounded he at least sounded fairly clear here but anyway i was not excited and that promo did not excite me for that match though and i think that's what that promo was supposed to do get me excited for that match and it did not yeah so you said just saliva building up in his mouth and it was just (laughs) (laughs) yeah and mean gene got an insult in on jimmy hart before he kicked it to lee marshall they're great (laughs) (laughs) you guys get that joke right yeah sure because, well, Lee, Lee Marshall did the voice of Tony the Tiger. Oh, did he? 
Yeah, I did yeah. not know that. So yep. he's uh, he's out on like the top of the entrance ramp interviewing Arn and Benoit. Now I got to admit, Arn's out there in his gear and wearing his glasses. That's <laughs> yeah, just that was... a funny. That's just a funny fucking look. Okay. <laughs> Arn's part uh, was fine. Arn's part. Yeah. Arn, Arn did his part. Arn was Arn was again another one of those underrated mic masters. Yeah. He he yeah. warns the outsiders, hey, I don't like those three guys, but you're gonna be get you have your hands full with them. So hey. Aren't selling the main event too, but then he says the dungeon are going to pay for having crossed the horsemen. And then Benoit talks. <laughs> he tries to be menacing, but he's speaking he too failed. slowly and too mm. uncomfortably to really take him seriously. You can that tell he fail. just didn't Benoit, know. Benoit, just stand there and put the four fingers up, and that's all you should have done at that it, point. It so, was awesome yeah. because his pauses in between some of his words were like two <laughs> seconds long. You're like. Oh, there's the next word. Okay. <laughs> you could just tell he was not comfortable doing it. I mean, he would get better. He never got great, like we've said, but this was still, it was like, this is like, please. This was, like talk. I said, just yeah. don't let him talk. Just stand there with four fingers up. Yeah. But it's like, I guess they felt like they had to at least make him talk because even though he had was to. like, he, he was really kind of becoming like the tough guy. He couldn't yeah. be the enforcer because Arn was still the enforcer, but he also wasn't Barry Windham or Lex Luger or Sid Vicious sized. So he couldn't just stand there and be like the strong silent just, type either. Just do this and put the four <laughs> fingers up, Benoit. Yeah. That's all you needed to do. Just do yeah, that. Cause I even, I even admit when he did that, it was cool. I'll even give Benoit that. So be the rabid Wolverine and be done with that. Yes. Okay, so what's so next, next, Pat? So, so the next match, and this is where you're going to get your wish for something that you asked me for earlier. The Nasty Boys against Public Enemy. Oh, my Enemy God. A four-man dog collar match. What a terrible so, idea. Let's say right now, what are we doing with the four-man dog collar? You, you, have the, you, you have the Nasty Boys, who have always wrestled semi-hardcore. And then you have Public Enemy, who have definitely wrestled the hardcore. Right. And you're going to put them in a dog collar match. Just make it a standard hardcore, fucking hardcore match. The fans would have probably eaten that shit up. But no, yep. let's put dog collars on these motherfuckers. <laughs> and split so, the camera during, and give us a split cam during the match. So so Sags is hooked up to Rock of Rock. Knobs is hooked up to Johnny Grunge. Uh, Public Enemy comes out with the plunder. <laughs> they got the plunder with him, Tony Schiavone. They got the plunder. <laughs> They're carrying a table, but yes, Dusty had a habit of this era because he called like the Saturday night shows, which unfortunately the Saturday night shows from this year are not on the network. Uh, but he also called the pay per views in, and whenever there was like you know a hardcore match or whatever, it was always the plunder. I just found that hysterical. <laughs> Public Enemy was pretty over with the crowd. Nasty Boys less so, which was surprising because Public Enemy was relatively new to the company at this point. But anyway. And I like uh, Public Enemy. So don't before yeah. I start degrading this match, I like Public <laughs> Enemy. So I did I, like I them. I like both of these teams, provided that you put them in the right situations. Correct. Uh, I mean, the match very quickly went outside. They start using trash cans. They start they start going back up the ramp up to like the to the, the set, sand. Watch out for the sand. Which was just basically a type of sand, uh, a bunch of sand. And then finally, what's the deal with Tony Schiavone? Oh my God, Tony! Tony Schiavone, he's beating him with a shock. He's beating him with a shock. Tony Schiavone. <laughs> I watched this pay-per-view like a couple years ago. I totally forgot he said that when I watched it again this afternoon. I was laughing my ass off because yeah. it does come, being that it's Dusty, 
it comes out shock. Not shark, it's shock. <laughs> oh my god, it was just he, it was like an inflatable plastic, yes. shark, maybe just plastic shark, and he's fucking hitting him with it. I remember who was hitting who, it doesn't even matter, but that <laughs> um, was ridiculous. So, so the problem though with this match is that they go outside and everything, and this isn't like modern day uh, wrestling where they have all the big screens everywhere. So the problem is that you're losing the audience, the, the you know the uh, the arena audience when you're doing that when they can't see the match. It's fine for us at TV, but like you said, they didn't have split screen much for it either. So the production again kind of took away. And, the, and they have they the get, split screen, and there's times when they're all on the split screens, like they're like. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't do a very good job of going away from that. When you can see the other two guys in the background on the split, I'm like, "What the <laughs> fuck are you doing?" Yeah. Good idea. Poorly executed. Yes. They 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 get they eventually get back in the ring. Uh, they try to do a couple's table spots. At one point, Rocker rocks on the top turnbuckle. Sags yanks him down off the turnbuckle onto the table, and the table doesn't doesn't break. break. And you can and then see they his face. Another, and they tried to do another spot on the table, and it still didn't break. The same I table know. didn't break twice. It finally broke then after the match, but. Finally, the, then the the the, the, the collar the, the broke. Match, yeah, the, the, then the match ending spot was actually kind of cool and a little dangerous, really. Knobs throws Grunge over the top rope and then runs with the chain so that it's taut. So Grunge is on the outside, basically being hung, uh, depending on how much give was in the collar. And then Sags whips Rock into it, basically gets clotheslined, and that leads to the pin. I mean, kind of a weird spot to do a pin, but at least it looked kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, again, they continued to brawl a little bit after the match was over. That's all this match was, was a brawl, like you said. I mean, that's all you probably should have expected from a dog collar match, but it didn't settle or resolve anything. I think the teams kind of continued to feud a little bit after this, but they also started having the nasty boys flirting with joining the NWO for a while. Um, match went 11 minutes, 25 seconds. Melter said star and a quarter. I might be a little bit more generous because I kind of just like the all-out brawls, which you know are supposed to be all-out brawls, but I'm not going any more than, like, two stars. That's... I'm not going anywhere near that. I, even when they were, like, trying to climb in the lifeguard chair, they just they looked they looked like they did not know what was going on at multiple yeah. points in this match. It was so, it was oh, a... Yeah, I, I can see that. If It kind of almost felt like they hadn't really walked this through very well. So my two notes for this match... Uh, possibly worst match of the night. Um, <laughs> it, it's not, well, that's the problem. Well, there, there's multiple <laughs> ones to pick from, so. And my other note says, this reminded me of us wrestling doing our hardcore matches. <laughs> Two, kudos, because we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, so we were allowed to not know. These guys are supposed to know what they're doing, and they didn't. Like, oh, I was yeah. watching we, this. If we had had a plastic shark, I'm sure we would have used it at some point. You bet. <laughs> we would have. But would you have would you this? have called it that, Pat? Would you have made made would you have dusty channeled no. your inner dusty? Okay, sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> sorry, no. But the, and the reason why it it reminded me of the us wrestling when we did our hooker matches, and I actually think we hit each other harder with stuff, is you see Rocco Rock hitting the guy with hitting um um Jesus was uh who was he tied he was tied up to uh, uh. Sags. And he's like doing this with the garbage can, Tap, like well, he's tapping really, him even with the garbage can lid. They yeah, weren't even hitting each other yeah. hard with those things. He hits him with yeah. the lid, and he's like barely hitting him. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> hit, fucking hit him! Like already, like would you just hit him? And like, 
no selling hits like guys were getting hit and they weren't even being phased by anything. And then like weird shots, like somebody would just randomly throw an arm out and punch somebody. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Yes. Like, this is just weird to watch. <laughs> so we've had three bad matches in a row. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. It was hard. Right. I had a hard time watching this when those going through those three matches. I'm like, Oh my God, like, please yeah, get better. One fact real quick. I met the nasty boys. Well, they are in this area. Um, when I worked at uh, the gas station on 191 in that shopping center, there was a guitar villa at the top half. Mm -hmm. And Brian Knob's brother, I believe his name was Chris. I could be wrong. He came into the gas station all the time. I would talk to him, and he didn't know I was a wrestling fan. And one day I was talking to one of my coworkers that worked there about uh, one of the pay-per-views. He's like, oh, you like wrestling? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, my brother's a professional wrestler. He, him and his tag team partner are going to be up next week. He goes, I'll introduce him to you. And it was like kind of like a hurry thing because we got busy. So following week comes down. He goes, yeah, I want you to meet my, you know, my brother's here. Come on up and meet him. I was like, all right, cool. You know, and I'm like, I'm going to take my break. I go up there. I walk in and there's both fucking nasty boys just chilling right there. <laughs> Talk to them. They were cool ass dudes. And they're like, do you want an autograph? I was like, that'd be great. I was like, I don't know. I didn't want to like ask and like geek out. You're like, no, no, cool, man. And I talked wrestling with them for like a good, from the whole 30 minutes of my break. They were cool as shit, both of them. Um, They went in their, 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 uh, their car. They got me like two pictures, different ones. And they both autographed them. And I still have them to this day, but it was, it was really, it was interesting that like, Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm, I have no idea who I'm meeting. I'm just being a professional wrestler. I'm like, I, I, I don't, I know this guy because he comes in every day. I've known him for two years now working here. And it's the first time we're talking about professional wrestling. And like, his brother is one of the nasty boys. At least that, at least it wasn't like Barry Horowitz or somebody like that. So, <laughs> And it's weird because like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, looking at Brian Nobbs and looking at him and I'm like, uh, he goes, no, he goes, no, I'm not the milkman's, uh, I'm not the milkman's, uh, 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 son, don't worry, because <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't look like they're related. That was the other thing that was a little weird. You could kind of see it, but not a lot. And then he just told me, he's like, oh man, I've been, I've been the Macho Man's house. I've been the So and So's house. I've been to Hogan's. Well, of course uh, he's been to Hogan's. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. like, um, he goes, uh, I've been over to Mean Jeans place. Like he was just like all this crap. He goes, oh, in the summers we go here and there and we hang out. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm just like. Can you take me one time? <laughs> because I'd love to be Hogan. <laughs> Just like uh, all those guys, Rick Rude and all that shit. So it was, it was cool. Sorry, I sidetracked. But I was, no, that, that, no, that's a cool I, story. I, I, I met those guys, and they, they were really, they were really nice. They yeah. didn't like treat me like I was dumb or anything. They did talk wrestling, like we talked legit wrestling. So it was cool. Yeah. I, I've met three wrestlers in my life too, with them very briefly at autograph signings, but all three guys were were, were pretty nice. So. Those three guys being Kerry Von Eric, Edge, and Snitsky. So, <laughs> I also met Edge. Yeah, yeah, we were there together. So, yep. All right. So next up, Mean Gene's outside the Outsiders locker room, which is surrounded by security. He just speculates as to who the third man is. Nothing much there. The next match was probably the surprise of both shows. Dean Malenko against the Disco Inferno for the Cruiserweight title. Disco gets on the mic before the match. He's as annoying as ever. Which I liked why I liked him. <laughs> um, 
the story about this was that I guess Disco had interrupted one of Malenko's matches a couple weeks earlier, so Malenko wanted to teach Disco a lesson. Malenko comes out. He's pretty intense. Now, one thing I'll also say I noticed real quick, there was really no heat for this match at the beginning, like for pretty much every match on this card. A few months later, the crowd would be into Malenko all the time. Malenko ended up becoming one of the most over guys, even when the NWO was running rampant. Malenko was like, got one of the best crowd reactions at most every Nitro, but not he wasn't there yet. Um, you know, he, he was pretty much dominating the match left and right. The announcers just keep admiring that Disco won't give up. He won't go down without a fight. Disco starts getting some offense. The crowd starts getting into it. There was also a really good spot where one time, like, Disco whipped Malenko into the corner and then followed him in, but Malenko did the leapfrog over him. There's a second spot then where Disco whips him in again, and Malenko tries to do the leapfrog, but Disco stops short this time, and so he's waiting for Malenko to land and, you know, hits him. So, hey, some good in-the-match psychology and, like, you know, mm-hmm. showing that the guys are actually paying attention. I always like when you get details like that. Yeah. Um, you know, like, they keep on mentioning about how Disco kind of keeps reverting back to his showboating and won't go for the pins when he has the chances. And you see Disco even fighting with himself to try to, like, keep himself straight. Um, eventually he goes back and forth, but finally Malenko hits the underhook powerbomb and then turns it into the Texas Cloverleaf to get the submission win. Uh, pretty good match, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure you hear Disco Inferno's in a match, you have low expectations, so that probably helps it. Went 12 minutes and four seconds. Uh, Meltzer gave it three and a quarter stars. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's the Malenko. I mean, Malenko and Disco Inferno, they can both, I mean, we know what Malenko do. I, I, I always liked Disco Inferno. He could always work. He was average on the mic. I kind of liked his weird-ass gimmick for some, for some reason. He was just so, like, overly arrogant. It just made me like him. I don't know. I think, I, I think what happened a lot with Disco is that nobody really ever thought he was a good wrestler because his character could be so annoying. But he yeah. could work if he had to. And obviously, Malenko was always one of the best workers in the business. Yeah. I thought... I go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, Jeremy. So I actually thought this was a good match also, after especially seeing three big stinkers in a row. Yep. Um, yep. And Disco Inferno sold, and he also at times oversold, which I always enjoy in a match, too. Like, if you're going to sell something, sell it. And then if you really want to sell it, just oversell it. Like, just kill it. Like, make it look really bad, you know. So I enjoyed that part. It was good. Malenko's Malenko, – I never liked Malenko, but he can wrestle. Like, he, he did a good job of that whole I don't care, like, the stone face gimmick. But that's why I didn't like him because he couldn't – he had no – charisma at all so yeah. he was he was a really good wrestler and that match was good because of him and he he didn't ever have bad matches like he, he was a guy he was one of their guys in wcw that you could put him in the ring with anybody mm-hmm. and he maybe they maybe they should have put joe gomez with malenko i don't know so <laughs> speaking can of, speaking of can we just skip the next match <laughs> No, we can't. Listen, and, and, and there's a reason why. There's a reason why. I, I, I trust know. you. There's a reason I why. I know there's a reason why. <laughs> Another train wreck is coming. So the next match, <laughs> Steve, Steve McMichael with Queen Deborah <laughs> versus Desperado Joe Gomez. <laughs> the Desperado. There was. There was no heat for this one. Nope. The entire crowd might as well have been dead. Like, literally dead. <laughs> Sitting in their seats, but dead. Michael McMichael was off... 
<laughs> Michael was obviously greener than green. Like, you know, this was only like a month after they did the whole thing with him teaming, teaming with Kevin Green and he turned on him to join the Horsemen. Gomez was just not a good worker. I mean, his character was really non-existent. He's Desperado Joe Gomez. Well, that's meaningless. He didn't come out wearing a cowboy hat or anything. Um, and he was like another just like kind of big, wide-bodied guy when you come right down to it. This is the kind of match that should never in your life have been on a fucking pay-per-view. That's this it about the a, pre-show, for sure. It, if you're going to do that at all, pre-show. This is a Nitro match. Obviously, they're trying to do something with McMichael, having him join the Horsemen. That's fine. you got to build him up on TV before you start throwing him out there on pay-per-view. Or, if you're going to throw him out there on pay-per-view, give him somebody who can maybe work and maybe look, make him look good. Because Gomez didn't make him look good in any way. Um... McMichael finally wins with a tombstone after they had a what I put down was a botched sunset flip spot, which Ooh, doesn't really bad. surprise you. Deborah was not annoying, and that's only because she never talked. Because mm-hmm. she easily had the most annoying voice in, in WCW. The match went six minutes forty four seconds, which was probably six minutes and forty five seconds too long. <laughs> too long. <laughs> yep. Meltzer's rating. And this is why we have to quickly talk about this match. Negative half a star. <laughs> so I've seen Meltzer give other negative star ratings to other matches. Like I'm pretty sure his most famous negative star rating is to the Hogan Andre WrestleMania three match. I think he gave that like negative two stars. Okay. Well, that's but, so I'm saying to myself, well, well, wait a second. What the hell is the difference between, giving something negative stars and rating something a dud. Like, what's the point? So I did a little bit of research and I found this on a Reddit page. So take this with a huge grain of salt. Oh Lord, here we go. But this is what it is. This uh, supposedly Meltzer himself explained this at one point to somebody. Okay. A dud match, a dud match is one without any redeeming social value. And I go, Wrestling matches are supposed to have a social value. (laughs) A negative rating means that not only was the match itself worthless, which this match was, but it was also obnoxiously bad, which this match was. (laughs) So this is the way I look at it. If he's giving negative stars and obviously positive stars, a dud to me means it's zero stars. Yes. Now, that that being said, the Ultimate Warrior Jerry Lawler match, which he rated a dud, against this match, which he rated, rated negative half a star. Was the Warrior Lawler match really a half star better than this match? <laughs> <laughs> yes, be, yes, because Lawler cut that promo on his way to the ring. Okay, if yeah. you're going to include that as part of the match, I will, I will allow that. <laughs> I will allow that. <laughs> I mean, what... What is to say uh, to me why there were two other matches on this card that could have been duds in my opinion. So, <laughs> well, the other thing too, is I think, uh, I think when we were discussing this event uh, the other night, when we were on one of our, you know, calls, before I, think, I got on, I think Jeremy said that this mat that this card was too long. Did you say oh that my. Jeremy? Yes. There was too many matches. Yeah. Well, this uh, this I mean, would have been really, where this would yeah. have been where the William Regal match could have been. We could have had that match instead of Joe Gomez. I felt like they, like yeah. you said, they had to get Mongo on, and noticeably the the four Horsemen matches are back to back to back too. It's like, oh, let's do all three four Horsemen matches in succession. So it's obvious that they're still trying to 
pipe up to the horsemen are a big deal. And McMich- they decided to make Mike McMichael a part of it for whatever reason, rather than pick somebody else. And of course they'd been in limbo since Pillman had walked out with that. Cause it would really just been the three horsemen, but still it's like, yeah, you could have put on a match that didn't have any story in Eddie Guerrero, Steven Regal, which would have been better. Or you could have just not had this match on the damn card right. and maybe given some of the other matches a few more minutes because it's like, I think we could have done with a couple more minutes of Ray and psychosis. I think a couple more minutes of disco and Malenko would have been okay. I think the main event match being a couple minutes longer would have been fine too. Cause it was, the significance attached to it mm-hmm. but yeah let's just uh let's just move they, on they, yes. they could use mcmichael as part of another another match yeah as a heel to, to build him up as more of a heel and to like interfere in one of the other matches like him and, and Deborah. Wow. They, they already had that. when we get to the next match, they already had too many people that were going to interfere in that match. So Michael couldn't come down in that one. <laughs> well, the next matches are added to the glory. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 pretty much every, all the, the uh, every part of the following three matches are, are interference filled. But so anyway, mean Gene is then interviewing flair woman and Elizabeth. Gene was playing much doing the dirty old man shit. He was yes. always distracted by woman. That was, woman was and woman pretty was, entertaining. And kind of sort of surprisingly, woman always flirted right back with him. So I, I will say that Elizabeth was looking mighty fine on this. I was gonna evening. mention something something like that in a second, but <laughs> Flair Flair talks about Conan saying is he has a thousand holds, which I'm like, wait a minute, does he think he's wrestling Malenko? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um the promo devolves into being nothing about the match and being about the after party at, ho- at the hotel. Gene gives a line saying about how there's going to be a pole vaulting competition at the after party. <laughs> wow. Uh, hey, that's a little that's risque right. for me and Gene and WCW, but uh, yes. Um, so one other website that has like reviewed old nitros in the past, they talked about Elizabeth coming back in 1996 and they started basically referring to her as MILF Elizabeth. Yeah, right. As, as Damn right. As, as opposed to like WWF Elizabeth. And they were basically saying, well, WWF era Elizabeth was kind of like the sweet, innocent girl next door. WCW MILF Elizabeth was the Elizabeth who could teach you a thing or two. <laughs> I would I've always remembered reading that. So. Than the earlier part. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she was definitely, you know, wearing more cleavage, you know, bearing uh, outfits For sure. at this point. She went from wearing like, <laughs> like gown dresses to actually like wearing something peroxide. She, she kind of went from like crude to slut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense when she's hanging around with Flair and the Horseman, too. So. <laughs> that was a nice way of putting it. She's yeah. a lot hotter in WCW. She has 100% agree with you on that. All th- I think all four of us agree on that. So, Okay. So the next match is Conan defending the U.S. title against Ric Flair. At the beginning of the match, Flair goes to shake Conan's hand. Conan is very wary of doing so, but he does shake Flair's hand, and Flair doesn't attack him. That's mm-hmm. odd. Conan in his weird outfit yep Conan in his weird outfit (laughs) Flair basically starts playing mind games you know the match starts slow both men are kind of trading moves and taunts Conan tries to get the crowd into it not very successfully Nope. Um, you know Flair's playing the mind games by just constantly basically teasing hey I'm Ric Flair you're nothing Uh, so he was telling the psychology fine woman screeching her head off we were talking about mankind screeches earlier the woman screeches oh oh god so they were bad 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> the way she did it. Oh my God. There was a, there was a spot where she did a low blow onto Conan, which I put seemed really odd, but I didn't put why it was odd. So I don't remember now, unfortunately, uh, Conan gets control and actually puts a figure four on at one point while flair does his flair stuff throughout the match. Flair finally gets the pin after woman takes off her shoe and hits Conan with the heel of it in the eye, which was a spot that they had done to Hogan months before. And Flair gets the pin while also using the ropes for leverage. (laughs) The top (laughs) rope, nonetheless. Yes, I think one of the announcers even said adding insult to injury. Uh Uh, So Flair is the new United States champion. The match went 15 minutes, 39 seconds. Meltzer gave it two and a half stars. I don't know if I would actually score it that high. I feel like this probably could have been better because Flair was still Flair. And yep. Conan could, was, a, was a decent worker who, for whatever reason, you would never really know if you only ever watched him in WCW because they yeah. pigeonholed him into certain things, whether it was with the Dungeon of Doom or then when he turned to the NWO. But I almost feel like that this match was kind of slow. There wasn't enough was. action in it. And that maybe it was like a clash of styles. And I have to feel like if that's the case, it was probably Flair wasn't comfortable doing Conan style. There was. Uh, yeah. Yes. Flair seemed Flair seemed like he was he was a step slow in this match at times. I don't think that there was any like major botches, but it just was not a, what I was used to seeing Flair wrestle. And this match could have been better than it was. So I was, yeah, I, was I was slightly disappointed and there was too much hijinks at the end of this match, it was like too yeah. predictable that there was going to be interference. It was like almost so predictable that it ruined it for me. Yeah. It was, it was strange to me. It was like kind of, sorry, Jeremy, it was strangely without like, like lacking in like compellingness. And yeah, it's like, there's just way too many spots where like Elizabeth's getting up on the ring to distract the referee. So flair and woman can do whatever behind his back. And this is one of the things that like, you know, I know it's a staple of wrestling, but I've always hated it. It's like, why does the referee allow them to be himself to be distracted by the the person in the corner coming up onto the apron and, and doing stuff all the time? It's like you almost wish yeah. they would that would be something they'd break away from, and the referee would be like, "I know you're trying to cheat behind my back, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna ignore you getting in my face and pay attention to that." So, well, and one of the times they went to cheat, and the ref actually sees the cheating starting to happen. But then all of a sudden he turns his head like, oh, I, no, I don't really see that. Just a sec. I'm over here. You know, I was like, um, OK, that's just bad. <laughs> Maybe that was like the spot where I said about how it was really odd with a low blow spot. It might have been. Yeah. I don't know. This, I think so. This was a this was a. I don't I don't like when I talk about flair. This was a bad match for Ric Flair. Like the expectation for him, like this was below standard for him, I think. So, yeah. and you yeah, could see yeah, Flair it, calling the match at points. You could actually see him telling yeah. Conan, "Hit me more, hit me more," you know, like because I felt like almost Conan didn't know what to do either. Yeah, I like, think it was. A, I think it might have been the style clashing. Maybe Flair, maybe him and Conan just they, they didn't have chemistry. I don't think. So, yeah, and I, I'm not sure they ever wrestled each other again one on one after this. I mean, I did not have to go through every result to look, but I, I, I just don't did. feel like that. I just don't feel like they did. All right. All right. So mean jeans outside the door closer to the door of the outsiders locker room. He claims that he got up really close and he heard a third man, a that muffled sound... voice that sounded vaguely familiar. <laughs> and it's like knowing where it goes. 
you listen to that now and you go, oh, of course yeah. it sounded familiar. <laughs> you, you think it sounded familiar? They just they drew out the whole outsider thing way too yeah. much during this pay per view. They, they, they made, made this pay per view all about that, and like even during other matches, they were talking about the main event. They were doing no justice to most of the rest of the matches that were going on. A, a huge that's, oversell. That's true, but it's like I understand that for a couple of reasons. One, they were still kind of making, even though you know. Bischoff had asked Nash and Hall at the Great American Bash, do you work for the WWF? And they said no. That was more for like to try to help stave off lawsuits. They were still trying to sell the the aspect of, that they were invading from the other company. So they are trying to make it sound like, again, this is the most important event in the history of this company. You know, So I get that. And again, it is the mystery of who's the third man. And again, you know, there's so many rumors about who the third man was going to be. Is it going to be Sting? Is it going to be Luger? Is it going to be Bret Hart? Is it going to be the British Bulldog? Is it going to be Mabel? Um, I'm not. I'm not joking. I'm not joking about that, by the way. Supposedly, at one point, Meltzer, Meltzer ran a story saying that Mabel was going to be the third man. That would have been fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, all I can remember about going into this is that. You know, Hogan had been off TV for two or three months at this point. And in the back of my head somewhere, I was saying to myself, huh, wouldn't that be cool if it was Hogan? You know, so, but we'll get there. So the next match was Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit representing the Horsemen against the Giant, who's the WCW Heavyweight Champion, and the Taskmaster representing the Dungeon of Doom. And this is one of my big pet peeves about WCW. Not having the heavyweight title defended on a pay-per-view that always annoyed the shit out of me. It especially annoyed the shit out of me when Hogan in the middle of the NWO angle was a champion. And it was like, well, I'm not showing up to this pay-per-view, you know? So, but anyway, uh, giant taskmaster jump Arn and Benoit during their entrance. And as they start brawling, McMichael shows up and it's really hard to see this, but apparently he showed up with the briefcase and that distracted the giant enough for the giant to chase McMichael backstage which then, of course, allows Arn and Benoit to take Sullivan to the ring and start beating on him. Eventually, the Giant gets back there, but, you know, it was an interesting way to start the match. Um, I put, watching Benoit and Sullivan lay into each other always had a perversely entertaining effect because you could never oh, yeah. tell you could never tell just quite how real it actually was. <laughs> because, yep. You know, the joke, of course, was that, you know, Sullivan booked his own divorce by, you know, having Benoit go off with women and everything. Um, and you know that they hated each other. And of course it lasted to the point where Sullivan was made head booker again after they fired Russo in early 2000, which of course is what led Benoit and the other radicals to jump to WWF, which was, you know, one more nail in WCW's coffin. So just whenever you watch these two guys fighting with each other was always kind of perversely entertaining. Um, there was a stipulation in this match that if the horseman won, Flair would get a title shot the next night on Nitro. Um, the only time it's ever really mentioned is when Shivani points it out to say that the horsemen weren't really going for pins on Sullivan, especially when Giant had yet come back to the ring. So it was very weird. Again, they just didn't sell the stipulation at all. No. Um, Sullivan worked most of the match. You could kind of tell that the crowd really wanted the Giant to get in the ring. Like, he was, like, over. And he was getting, like, oh, baby... He was. He, he was getting, like, baby face pops. Like, the crowd was, like, really, really treating the dungeon guys as the as the baby face they wanted the giant to come in the ring now there was a spot where benoit went up for the old spike pile driver like arn and tolly used to do and there was a pretty noticeable botch here where sullivan yes. like where sullivan like reverses 
and trying to monkey flip or whatever. Tries to like slingshot Arn into the turnbuckle to knock Benoit off of it, which is what happens. But it looked terrible. And as we found out when we tried to do the wrestling, that slingshot is not easy to do. Yeah, it, it was it was very slow to develop, and and Arn was trying to fix it, and he couldn't. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you kind of almost think two old pros like Arn and Sullivan would have been able to pull it off, and they didn't. Just looked bad. Yeah, that that was a bad botch. I was going to bring it up if you didn't. So. Yeah, finally Giant gets tagged in, but as soon as he does, he knocks Arn out of the ring, and Benoit and Sullivan just keep fighting back up towards the announce position. They even get up on like the announce like a platform that's set up. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Giant hits Arn with a eh looking choke slam. I don't think he got Arn up really good, mm-hmm. and he gets the pin. But then after the match, Benoit and Sullivan are still fighting. They're, like, getting onto the sand where you can actually see the sand getting onto their bodies, which was kind of funny. But in a very bizarre spot, you see Benoit and Sullivan fighting here. And then in the back, you see the giant and Jimmy Hart just walk into the back like, oh, he's fighting Benoit? Yeah, okay, whatever. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) You know, Benoit and Sullivan brawl back to the ring. Benoit's fully in command, and then woman comes out and begs Benoit to stop, which is weird, as the announcers pointed out. And then the giant heart finally come back out and chase Arn and Benoit off, with giant even going like, what are you doing? It's like, it's like, it's like that scene in Liar Liar. It's like, I'm kicking my ass. What do you think? Benoit was like really beating the shit out of him at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, you know, some weirdness there. The match itself went 759. Meltzer gave it two stars. Uh, again, this is a match that feels like should have been better than it was. There was when when the giant got tagged in, Benoit was standing right there and he like didn't even acknowledge that the giant got tagged in. Like I felt like if the giant gets tagged in in that situation, why wouldn't you go after Benoit when he's standing right next to you? They like ignored each other, and Benoit rolled out of the ring. It was so bizarre. I'm like, well, why could... is the why is the Big Show not going after Benoit? He's standing right next to him. Well, I, I couldn't even I couldn't even remember who the legal man was between Arn and Benoit at that point because I thought it was Benoit. But again, the way that like Benoit immediately goes after Sullivan and the giant just ignored him and focused on Arn. It's like, well, I guess it was Arn just must've... it was just we I. I think Arn was the. It was just weird because if you're the big show and you're getting the hot tag and you're pissed off at that point, wouldn't you just go after whoever you could get your hands on at that point? Yeah, it was just weird. Do, all you gotta do is throw one punch at him. Yeah, or, or headbutt him or do something. Head one head yeah, they just like Benoit just walked by him and rolled out. <laughs> it, was it was weird. And, yeah, and once again, <laughs> and once again, Kevin Sullivan with the no sell a lot. <laughs> oh, I got hit. Okay. Again, yeah. <laughs> again, I think when you know what was going on between him and Benoit, like backstage and personally and everything, it makes perfect sense. Any, 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 well, he I'm was not, no selling Arn Anderson, too. Any, anytime, when I go back and watch Kevin Sullivan at this point, I'm just laughing in my head because I don't like him, and I think he's an idiot, and I, I don't think he's good at wrestling, and I just laugh every time I watch him wrestle now because I'm like, this is going to be entertaining. He might do the, 
double stomp to win, which is the worst finisher other than Jericho's finisher currently right now. Oh, I hate yeah. the double stomp. So, no, I mean, he needed to stop wrestling, which he did the next year. But I mean, I know he was still coming up with a lot of the booking and a lot of the backstage stuff. So we I mean, booking was fine. There. He was okay with the. I mean, he didn't wasn't terrible at booking. He just the in ring stuff with me. I was I just never thought he was very good. <laughs> We're getting to the last yeah. match of this pay per view finally, right? Finally, matches later. <laughs> yes, we are. We're finally at the main event. Macho Man Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger versus the Outsiders and the Third Man. The hostile takeover match. <laughs> they run a video package. That's a terrible video package, by the way. Appearance through up to the pay-per-view. And I put, once again, highlights how WWF production was infinitely better. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, it was like you're a television company or, or just steal some events as guys or just steal the way that they. Oh, my God. Michael Buffer ring announcing. I always kind of liked Michael Buffer ring announcing because it always had a sense of making the event seem bigger. The yeah. problem was is that WCW very quickly started overusing him. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. Well, the outsiders come to the ring alone. And so Mean Gene, as you hear Sting's music starting to play, Mean Gene walks to the ring and he interviews Hall and Hall <laughs> So bizarre. Hall still doing the full Razor Ramon calls him scheme gene and assures that their partner is there and that he's ready. Nash agrees with that and says, we can handle this though. So Gene goes away and the faces make their entrances. Listening to Heen inside with the faces is odd, but Hey, that was the circumstance of the match. Starts off with Luger and Hall. Hall takes the early advantage until Luger comes back with a few power moves and then hits Nash. A brawl quickly breaks out, which leads to Luger getting knocked out when Sting does a splash to Nash in the corner, but Nash was holding Luger's head against the turnbuckle. Luger falls to the outside, knocked out. Is dead. This is only, this is only about two minutes into the match. Yes. Luger is uh, dead. <laughs> I thought it was like a, for a few minutes further into the match, but I, but no. Uh, no. <laughs> now, this was obviously done for two reasons. One, to make it a two-on-two, because a face team can never have a three-on-two advantage. That's just not the way wrestling works. No. And also, it was definitely made as a misdirect to make you think that Luger could come back and be the third man, because, hey, he had been in WWF for two or three years up until the previous fall, so... It would have made sense, but I think it was also even maybe thrown in there to make you think that maybe Sting could have been the third man, which again supposedly was the plan if Hogan hadn't agreed, because Sting knocked Luger out, you know. So anyway, they clear Luger out on a stretcher. The match resumes with Hall and Sting. Hall slaps Sting, and Sting just goes berserk, which was a nice touch because again, yeah. these guys have been criticizing you, belittling you for the last several weeks and everything. Yeah, go nuts on them. Uh, Savage tags in, goes up top Hall hits him in the midsection Hall distracts Sting and the ref So Nash comes in and hits Savage with the snake eyes uh, Nash tags in and keeps the advantage I said that he kind of sort of missed an elbow But I think it was botched uh, Savage rolled yes. away, tagged Sting in I have Nash, took, Nash took the advantage on Sting pounded on, Pounding on him in the corner Sting reversed a whip and hit a drop kick But he couldn't complete a sunset flip As Nash just grabbed him by the throat And then threw him to the mat So really selling that Nash is a huge power guy um, At this point in the match Shivani mentioned that the, the guys were picked randomly And the, I remember they did literally pick three names Out of a hat, out of six Like the other three names that weren't picked Were Flair, Arn, and Hogan um, So Shivani's oh, like Hey, yeah. so, 
hey, let's just play by our own rules. They've been doing it. Somebody else should just come down here and replace Luger. I mean, kind of a funny thing, but obviously it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Hall tagged back in, hit Sting with his patented fallaway slam. Nash tagged in, hit a big boo. They both kept antagonizing Savage because, you know, one trademark throughout Randy Savage's WCW tenure was that he was basically always one step away from just completely snapping. It's like <laughs> even more so than in his WWF days, they just always depicted Savage as being completely fucking nuts. Um, Sting ducks a clothesline, hits a drop kick to Nash's knee, but Nash is able to tag out <laughs> Sting can. Sting gets a small package, but Savage ends up actually distracting the ref so that he can't get a three count. Hall gets the advantage back, puts on the abdominal stretch, does the leverage assist from Nash. Nash and Hall just keep beating on Sting, tagging in and out, hitting moves back and forth. Savage is on the barrier. Sting finally fights back, knocks Nash down, knocks Hall off the apron, and then dives over top of Nash to get the tag to Savage. Savage comes in like a house of fire, takes it to both men. He hits a lot of top rope double axe handles and everything. (laughs) Like six in a row. Then finally, he's got Nash down on his knees, and Nash hits the low blow, and everyone is down. And then, dun, 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 dun. Hulkamania! Hulkamania is here, baby! <laughs> <laughs> and I listened to this again, and the crowd reaction for when Hogan came down is definitely not what it should have been. The crowd should have been going nuts when Hogan came down because... Like the announcers were. He was the big hero. He had been off TV since I think it was like April. So everybody should be going nuts for him. And they really didn't. It was like a kind of a, just like a average pop, let's just say. Then, of course, Heenan... Oh, boy. I love Bobby (laughs) Heenan. We know that his whole history was that he, he was arguably he was that he was arguably Hulk Hogan's greatest antagonist, more so than any actual wrestler. Yep. But when he goes with the whose side is he online? Now we know Heenan was always paranoid and shit too, but the fact that he did that just terrible. And if you go to the Wikipedia page for this show, it even mentions that the comment was edited out of the match on the Hulk Hogan anthology DVD, but it's left in and other versions including on the network version so it's it's kind of weird so hogan gets in he chases both outsiders from the ring you could see the hall got back up and he kind of repositioned savage in the ring i didn't notice that until this this afternoon um you know hogan comes in you know chases them out of the ring rips the shirt surveys the scene turns around and drops the leg on randy savage Hooray! <laughs> and the announcers are shocked. The crowd <laughs> stunned. There are some people in the crowd cheering. You can there see. There are. Yes, oh, there yeah. Are. <laughs> that was cool. But most, but most of the crowd is just kind of just looking on in this, like, stunned disbelief. They're not even really booing. They're just like. What the fuck just happened? That's. that's. Yeah. Yeah. I was exactly. cheering at home when I saw that. It was odd, yeah. but I found myself really liking that. So Hogan hits two more leg drops, throws poor Randy Anderson out of the ring and makes a pin as the announcers are just losing it over what Hogan's done. You know, he's betrayed WCW, blah, blah, blah. They start celebrating sting collects savage and they limp to the back disgraced fallen heroes. Uh, Hogan even mocks stings uh, yell at one point. But I'm not sure if that makes the network version because 
If you remember, there was that one fat idiot. Yes, they don't show that on the network. That's cut out too. Who tries to jump into the ring? That is edited out of the network version. It is. So you it is. See, if you want to see that, you got to go find clips on YouTube. Because because yeah. when Zach Zach was actually watching the end of it with me tonight, because I wanted him to see the Hogan promo because he had never seen it before, and I'm like, hey, there's a fan gonna jump in the ring at some point here and get beat up, and I'm like, oh, I guess they edited it out. Well, I think <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. when they go to a close up on Hogan's face. No, that's it's not. But oh, it's I'll, not I'll that. to mention that too. Yeah, now they 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 were able to just totally cut it because it happened before Gene came into the ring, but it happened like after they started throwing shit. So obviously that was the point where you knew that this worked when the fans started throwing the stuff into the yes. ring. So it was it it was, it was pretty incredible. Um, Hall and Nash start imitating all of Hogan's poses. They start doing the <laughs> of the year. I know a couple times Hall went like you know like yeah. this and everything. So. That really sold it. You know, Gene comes in. He looks distraught. Heenan even makes mentions that, like, Okerlund looks like he's going to cry. Hogan cuts the promo. At one point, I thought Gene said Hall and Nash's names, and it got edited out. But then he, I did hear their names later in the promo because I think this event might have even been the first time that they actually referred to Hall and Nash by name. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think they'd ever called them Hall and Nash at any Nitro before this. I, I could be wrong, but... I couldn't find that definitively, but, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's, he, there's some edits in the promo. Like at one point they do this big close up on Hogan, which they didn't do in the original broadcast. And I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know if Nash did something obscene or if somebody threw something <laughs> in the ring that was weird, but yeah, there was that close up of Hogan cutting the promo, which it was not the original broadcast. So yeah. the, yeah, the promos, the promos, so it's so funny with Mean Gene when he's like, I'm disappointed. Like, he's so mad. And he's yeah, like, I mean, he's trying to, like, keep his head turned so he doesn't get hit in the face with stuff. You can see Mean Gene's like, he's trying to do the promo, but he's also trying to not get hit with stuff. And, like, Nash is, like, swatting stuff yeah, down. Yeah, that's, just, that's one of the funniest things is that Nash is swatting stuff down. It's like you people forgot he was a basketball player and that he's seven feet tall. Because <laughs> he, at one point, like, Nash is, like, looking pissed off because I think they were pissed off that the guy jumped into the ring because, like, if you, when you see that There's, like, 8,000 security guys out there. How the fuck does a guy get in the ring? Because right. they didn't and come Hall, down until Hall, after Hall, that happened. Paul really stomps on the guy's head, too. Yeah. And he yeah, he did. <laughs> deservedly so but but like nash is like and he's like you know knocking shit out of the air with this like look of disgust on his face and shit but um i mean there's a lot of there's so much great stuff of course in the promo um you know when mean gene says look at all this crap in the ring and hogan probably ad-libs because i it couldn't have been in the script a script you know not that they would have ever scripted promos for hogan anyway but there's definitely no way that they knew people were going to throw trash right. in the ring. So the fact that he's able to say all of this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. And then, you know, goes into like the grievance, like, you know, for two years, you know, I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And with the reception I got when I came out here, which like I just said, was not overwhelming. Like it should have nope. been. You fans can stick it, brother. (laughs) (laughs) The promo was great. It was fantastic. I wish they wouldn't edit out the part where that guy gets stomped because that should be in there because that's like – the reason, Don't ever the do this, fans. Is the reason, well, that's the reason they edit it out, so it's to not encourage people. That's like when, when like fans run onto the field during like you know pro sports games, like they that's never. That's like should, when the idiot, when the idiot tried to go on the Hall of Fame thing where Bret yeah. Hart got his butt yeah. whooped. Yeah. So, um, but then it's like you know, so Oakland finally you know cuts it back to the announcers, and Shivani just sounds 
you know, so downtrodden. He's like, okay, we're Bobby the Brain Hand. We're Dusty Rhodes. We're all of us here at WCW. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. <laughs> Straight to hell. <laughs> I love the way Shivani, Shivani did it. And, and so the pay-per-view goes off the air. And I, I listened to uh, – I mean, Shivani has his own podcast now, but I listened to him being interviewed by somebody else, and he was talking about how there was, like, a lot of tension backstage that day because they, as the announcers, didn't know who the third man was. Like, nobody really knew, I think, for probably – probably except like Bischoff, Hogan, and the guys in the match. I don't, I don't think anybody else really knew. He said maybe Sullivan as the booker or maybe one or two other people knew, but the announcers didn't know. And he said he thought it could have been Sting. It could have been Bret Hart. There had been all these kind of rumors, again, about who the third man was. But he said that as soon as fans started throwing stuff in the ring, he said they knew that they hit a home run. He goes, yeah. we didn't know where – they're like, we didn't know where it was going to go but we knew we had done this right. And he said, so everybody backstage was high-fiving and they're like, we did it. We pulled it off, you know? So, so the match itself proper goes, uh, I lost it. Um, 16 minutes. Meltzer gave it three stars. Feels about right. Especially for a match that technically doesn't have a finish. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, <laughs> you'll turn. I, I mean, it, it 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 did because it's because when you're coming down to it, you know, it was built as like the hostile takeover. Well, the WCW guys lost. That's no matter how you look at it, even if like the like the pin wasn't official, the WCW guys lost. So yeah. Yeah. That match was okay. It wasn't anything yeah. special. The promo. No, see that that's it. It was again. It was about the story and the spectacle more right. than the match. So, right. It was just. Yeah. It was just like basically there the 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 similar thing I can tie between the two. Is like I said, Austin's promo saved the King of the Ring. This the match wasn't great to me. The, the promo saved the whole pay per view because I don't think the pay per view was very good. So Hogan, the, the 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 big turn and Hogan's promo saved the whole pay per view in my opinion because, like I said, I don't think this pay per view was very good. No, I mean, so I was gonna say I would give this the whole pay per view. I would say about a C minus because again, it's very historically significant. There's one excellent match. There's one good match, and then the rest of it is like C, C minus deep D plus there's, C minus. There's, there's, huh. there's, a, there's a couple of things that are like eh, eh but oh. there's a lot of there's there's a there's there's three stink shit. There, there there are three shit matches. So I, I'll I'll say it was going to be a D plus, but because of the Hogan promo and stuff, I'll give it a C minus. I'll give I'll give it a bump up for that. I'd agree with that. Yeah, you might for me. So, I mean, it just kind of goes to show that for both of these shows, again, they featured hugely historically significant moments, but neither company was capable of putting on a top-to-bottom excellent no. show. And, and that's nope. to be expected. But the problem was is that both companies put on several just bad matches. I also so, thought, yeah. I also thought, and this is this is just me, I'm not – Everybody has their own. I thought that the announcing and the WCW one was bad. I did not like. I I like. I listen to Tony Schiavone now. Like I feel like I'm watching AEW now, and AEW doesn't have a great announcing crew. I feel like I just went back in the time machine, and WCW had the same. Dusty was not great on this. Like Dusty was not, and I love Dusty Rhodes. And there were times where I don't think they had the right group of people together calling this pay-per-view Shivani's fine back then 
I don't know if Heenan and Dusty were the right people to be with him. I think it was a bad mixing of people. I definitely think that the announcing on King of the Ring was better than the announcing on this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's the, I, I would agree with that. And this was even when Vince was in his era of being overly histrionic on the mic, you know, with uh, the way he would count like pin attempts and, you know, going to be like, oh, come on, that had to be three and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, if it was just Vince and JR, it probably wouldn't have been as good. I don't think Vince and JR booth would have ever really worked. So they, it was no. good that Owen was there. But we no, I get, think Owen helped. But we yeah. did get a slobber knocker. Uh, we did get a getting beat like a government mule uh, <laughs> out of JR, early JR on WWE. Yes. <laughs> we, didn't yes. Get, we didn't get any. I don't think we got any internal bleeding. <laughs> no. I mean, no. And again, this, this, wasn't, this wasn't quite fully JR, JR yet. Like he wasn't yeah, wearing a cowboy hat and everything like that yet. So. All right, so there's a couple other quick topics I wanted to address, um, but before that, I have another stumper question. Oh boy! Okay, let's I've make got this two. one quick. Let's get our guesses on quick here with this one, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so Bash at the Beach ran as a pay-per-view concept from 1994 through 2000. They did an event called Beach Blast before that, but I'm not counting those. <laughs> yeah. So this is Bash oh. at the Beach, 1994 to 2000, a seven-year period. Who wrestled the most matches at Bash at the Beach? Sting. Okay. Without even having to guess, I'd say Sting. Okay. I'm going to say Hogan. Okay. I'm going to say Flair. Okay. Wow. Sting only wrestled at Bash at the Beach three times. Really? Holy well, shit. Well, you got to remember, like, all of 1997, for example, he didn't wrestle. True. Yeah. There's one here. Rick Flair wrestled four times. Oh, he got one up on me. Hulk Hogan wrestled five times. If if you don't count this event. You got to see what I'm saying? Well, the reason I'm saying this is this. Because if you count Hogan as having wrestled at Bash of the Beach 96, then he actually wrestled the Bash of the Beach six times. Somebody else. Somebody else must be at six then. No, there's somebody else at five. Okay. And that guy is Diamond Dallas Page. Mm. I would give Page it. (laughs) Well, see, I I think I would actually give it to Page too because one of those five or six times that Hogan wrestled (laughs) was when he put his foot on Jeff Jarrett's chest at Bash of the Beach 2000. (laughs) You know, also known as his last appearance for WCW. So that's a story for another day, of course, but I just thought I'd, I'd whip out a quick stumper question for that too. Okay. So good one. Good job, Joe. You kind of got it. So good job, Joe. Yeah. So all, all good guesses. And like all the kind of guesses that probably should be made. If you're going to say like a, who did the most WCW, this or that, you know? So yeah. Yeah.
it's obviously the historical significance outweighs the actual work rate or anything like that in the match itself. But it was still compelling. It was still really the only match where the crowd was pretty hot for for like the entire the entirety of the match. Um, and you could actually make that argument, I think, for, either, for any of the matches over on the King of the Ring as well. I don't think mm-hmm. like the crowd was up for like the entire Michaels Bulldog match because it was it was long. So, um, so I'll, I'll go with the again you know, the Outsiders and Hogan against Savage Sting Luger just again because it sent us off to the races for real in the Monday Night War. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, it did. All right. So just to recap our. Goodness gracious, it's getting late. It's a late night. (laughs) Our Mount Rushmore of favorite matches from either Bash of the Beach 96 or King of the Ring 96 is Mankind vs. The Undertaker, British Bulldog vs. Shawn Michaels, Rey Mysterio vs. Psychosis, and The Outsiders vs. Macho Man, Lex Luger, and Sting. A great um, Mount Rushmore, fun Mount Rushmore. Um, And thank you guys. Everybody's watching for tuning into our first two-parter um, <laughs> podcast because of just the length of this. Um, it ended up being uh, just about three hours and some odd minutes to get <laughs> through both pay-per-views, but that's why we split this into a two-parter for you guys. Um, but thank you for tuning in. Enjoy, uh, and we will be back next week with... Help me out. I forgot what the hell we're talking about next week. <laughs> I to be too. determined. Oh, to be determined. So we don't even know what we're going to talk about next week. So that's why I forgot because I didn't. There was nothing yet. <laughs> so until determined. what's that? Nope. Go ahead. Okay. Well, until next week, we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>